Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and on the podcast, we discuss all aspects of technology and life in international schools, with new episodes live every two weeks. We focus on people currently working in international schools, and we talk about life in their current country, and then we dive into some specific topics. The podcast is sponsored by Apps Events. We're a Google for Education partner and made up of former educators, all experts in helping schools integrate Google into their schools and classrooms. All training is customized for every school to make sure it has lasting impact. We're also experts on online virtual Google training, and we can deliver all our certification bootcamps and training completely online to schools. We have teams in Europe and the Middle East, Asia and the US, and we can help you wherever you are. Check it out over at appsevents.com. We're also delighted to say we're now an ISTE partner and we're delivering the ISTE Certified Educator worldwide with our subsidiary AE Learning. ISTE certification is a pedagogy-focused, vendor-neutral, professional certification aimed at educators wishing to transform their edtech practice. We run two-day certification boot camps which are amazing fun, great networking and will give you a huge boost both to your career and for your school. Get all the info at aelearninglab.com. Finally, the podcast is brought to you by Acer for Education. People ask us what Chromebooks and Windows laptops we recommend for schools, and after literally trying them all, we always recommend Acer. If you'd like to get more information, please just leave your email at gg.gg forward slash Acer Education, and we'll get straight back to you. We go to Acer HQ in Taiwan every year to be part of product discussions, and they are genuinely the best thought out, cost-effective, and durable devices out there. And now, on to the interview. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Casey von Neumann. Casey is based in the US in Atlanta, and she's actually founded a school, which is a fascinating topic to me, um, a small school. And she was a former teacher, and she's done a few entrepreneurial things, so I'm really fascinated to hear the story of, of how this came about and, and what you've been up to. So welcome to the podcast, Casey. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. So Casey, you're, we were just talking, obviously we're in COVID time now. It's We're recording this 28th of July, 2020. I always say that because people find the podcast like a year later or something, you know, and it's kind of, you got to kind of ground it. Um, you were saying you're in Maine now. You, you, you live in Atlanta, but um, was that, the, was that the, the COVID risk? It was the reason you left uh, Atlanta temporarily? Uh, actually, I've been transitioning for the past couple of years to being more location independent. And so yeah. when my husband wanted to do an apprenticeship in wooden boat building at the apprentice shop in Maine, um, a special two-year program, then I was able to move from Atlanta and kind of be a few a few weeks in Maine, then a few weeks in Atlanta. And, and I was going back and forth for about six months. Sure. And then when COVID, COVID hit, then I was pretty much stuck in Maine. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into your story then. So how, how did it all start? I was looking at your LinkedIn page and I think you studied music at university or music education. Is that, is that right? Is that where it started? I did. I did. Originally from Maine. And so I studied music education here in Maine, taught public school for one year. That was really not for me. I'm kind of allergic to bureaucracy. Being a teacher was something I was really passionate about and I was yeah. passionate about music. And I thought, let's just combine those two. Uh, but but I was sort of disillusioned with the public school experience because I wanted to have more meaningful relationships with the students. This is the kind of thing that I was at two schools teaching 500 kids. So you were and, like, a, a, like a floating resource. You didn't work in just what you would go to different schools in the district, basically. 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And and what was it, what didn't you like about the bureaucracy? Like what what actually was it was it kind of the leadership or what what were the problems like that you found? I worked at a, a really well-run school, yeah. um, a couple couple well-run schools, but it was just some of the things that seemed backward to me. Um, like for instance, the idea that here's your budget and you have to spend all of the dollars of the budget or else you won't get that budget next year. That's a strange way, yeah. People like us as business owners, it's counterintuitive, like, you know, that, that kind of thinking, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So, so did you, did you, like you decided pretty quick, I mean, the year was like, did you already know before the end of the year, this is it, I don't want to work in a public school? Yeah, I, I was, I found myself, um, just going online every day and looking at far-flung destinations and yeah. just feeling trapped in my situation and yeah. just realizing that it wasn't going to be sustainable in the long term. Right. So did you go traveling? Like, What, what was the next move? Yeah, the next move was I – well, then 9-11 happened. So, right. um, so that, that kind of um, slowed me down in terms of travel, but I did – you know, look for a, a city to move to. And I decided Atlanta would be a nice place to set up shop. Yeah. It's not as established as some other major American cities. And so when I decided that I wanted to teach music lessons, you know, if you go to Boston or New York, it's like, oh, well, we already take music lessons at this place that was founded in 1835. Um, yeah. Whereas Atlanta um, really has only come of age due to air conditioning. <laughs> so yeah. so it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a newer city and there's still a lot of room for, uh, for good ideas and new ideas and entrepreneurial spirit. So, um, so I found that I was able to get established very quickly as a freelance music teacher, just teaching music lessons to kids and adults that within a few months I was up to full time with all of the students that I could really handle, which I think is sort of a unique aspect of the timing and the particular neighborhood that I chose. And were you like just, just working from home or did you rent a place or how, how were you running it as a, as a freelance teacher? I had some studio space. I also went to people's homes. I had people come to my home. I had this dinky little apartment. Um, and so I would teach music lessons. I would teach piano lessons in the bedroom and then guitar lessons in the living room where there's a little more space. Yeah, yeah. And how did you, like, I'm curious, how, how did you grow that? Like, how were you getting customers? Were you just advertising in local papers? Was it old school or online or what? Yeah, it was pretty old school, like online. I mean, this was like the early 2000s, so yeah. online wasn't wasn't well established. So I did have a website to direct people to, but um, but I was putting up flyers in coffee shops, you know, the the classic flyers with the little pull-off tabs for your phone yeah. number. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think and, that still and, works for certain things, you know. We were looking for something, and we lived, I lived just outside Prague in Czech Republic, and that there's a supermarket just down the road from my house, and there's always these flyers on them. I've taken a few things. I've taken a few you know, torn off a few pieces of paper from there, you know, I mean, it still works, I think, for certain businesses. Yeah, I had postcards. I went and, and put postcards on people's doors. You can't, you can't put them in the mailbox. It's not legal. So right. you put them like the on their yeah. mailbox or on their door. But I had, I got some um, leads from that that developed into these, these lifelong relationships and friendships with the, the students that I met that way. So it actually worked really well. And of course, then it's the sort of tree of referrals that, because people are always looking for someone who's good at what they do. So yeah. the, the parents tell their friends and then it spreads from there. It's funny. I was staying in San Francisco a couple of years ago and I was walking past this place. It was School of Rock. It was like, you know, rock some music school for kids. And they had this huge banner and it said, are you worried your kids are not going to be in a cool band? We can help. Thought, that was cool. That was good marketing. You know, I liked it. Yeah. 
they'll solve the problem. But um, so so what what was the next stage? And you started doing this, and then did you? How did you kind of grow this to be kind of a business, or did it just stay as just you? I wasn't really intending to grow it into a larger business. Um, so if I had been intentional about that, it might have happened faster. But yeah. it took about five years, and then I was starting to get more referrals than I could handle. Um, and I was just telling them, okay, well, I can take you on for the summer, but after that, I have no one to refer you to, and, and I'm full. And they, they just went, okay, we'll take lessons with you for the summer. And so I thought there was a real opportunity there. So I, um, I looked for teachers who would come to the neighborhood and teach, and I provided a studio space for them. And so it grew rapidly from there. I was going to say, and how long did it take you to kind of approximately what you were what you were earning working for the school district to, to make that freelancing? Did that happen pretty quick, or did it did it take a while? Yeah, I was making so little at the school district, frankly. That's how that it, it only took about five months. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. From, from moving to town to to pretty much matching my income, it took about five months. Oh wow, cool. Okay. So, what was next on on the next stage of of what you were doing? So the school grew, the, the music school, it's called Eclectic Music. So we have lessons, camps, and classes. But I did get to the point where I was looking for something else and I um, was paying attention to the, the state of education in the city, um, particularly yeah. the public schools. And during the 2011 to 2012 school year, they went through this redistricting, redistricting process where they were trying to decide which kids would go to which elementary schools that would feed into which middle schools and high schools. And it was a very contentious process. They asked for a lot of community feedback, which just ended up starting a lot of fights online. Right. So people were becoming disillusioned with the state of public education in the city, which is much like what's happening now. And so I, I realized, well, I've got these, these buildings for my music school and they're pretty much empty till 3 p.m. when the music lessons start because most of the people are having music lessons after school and after yeah. work. So I said, hey, I would love to host some students. I would like to homeschool these kids. Um, in my state, in Georgia, you can hire a tutor to homeschool your child. Right. So I said, hire me as your tutor. And I'm, I'm looking for a small group of kids. Who's interested in that? And I reached out to just a handful of families. And I said, let me know if you know someone who might be interested in that. And just right. pitch the idea, very, very soft sell. And a lot of people said, yeah, no, we'd be interested. And so we had a meeting and uh, within a couple of weeks, we had eight or nine families who were signed on. And so we started in the fall of 2012 with 12 students. And so that became the little middle school. And so that exists today. We're now going into our ninth year. And uh, we've got, I think, five teachers, about 20 something students. Um, we've kept it small deliberately um, just to keep it that intimate space where the kids can really feel a sense of belonging. Um, we, we have developed our own curriculum and uh, just really enjoying that. So I've kind of come full circle to end up being teaching all of these academic subjects in addition to Yeah. Music. So I want to get, there's a lot to talk about there. So obviously you started just, it was just you, uh, you know, doing music lessons. How did that transition to, to being a school? Like what, what were the stages like? Did you, how did you go through like the post? Did you just, decide you wanted to do a school and, and how, and who did you hire first? Did you rent a building? Like, I'm just curious, like that, how, how you went from you as a solo person, just doing music to running a whole middle school. Yeah. I found when I hired the teachers, I found spaces for them to teach in. So you hired um, all the teachers that you had like five straight away. Did you, you, you just went. No, you know, for the, for the middle school, I already had the space from the music school. Aha, so, right. um, so then I was just teaching solo while my team, 
of admins ran the, the, the music school. So right, then I right. was working and focusing on the middle school program. And then the second year I brought on an assistant and then the third year I brought in on a couple more teachers and yeah. have experimented over the years with larger staff, smaller staff, more specialized team, hiring people with master's degrees versus hiring people that we can train from the ground up. And, yeah. uh, and so we've, we found um, that the latter works the best. We really enjoy training people in our approach, which is a little different than do you, do you hire people who've got like a teacher's license, like a Georgia, a state of Georgia teaching license? No, I prefer right. it without. Right. Okay. And, and <laughs> that's not a requirement. Like you don't have to do that. You can teach without a license. Can you? No. Yeah. You can, for homeschool, you can teach without a certification. Yeah. And, um, so you have to have, well, if you're, if you're going to educate other people's children, you have to have a college degree, I think. Yeah. But I mean, I think to homeschool, you really just need a high school diploma. Right. So it's not every state is the same. Um, this is something that in the United States is very subject to the laws of the individual 50 states. So yeah, yeah. Georgia is one of the ones that is, is a bit more liberal in its approach. There's many homeschoolers and they're, they form a powerful lobby um, at the right. state level. So they have a lot of freedom. So there's a, there's a homeschool lobby in Georgia, isn't it? It's that big. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and how did you like, um, I mean, Kira, like in the beginning, like how many students did you have and how did you figure out your pricing? Like, did you look at whatever, uh, is it like a small schools or tiny school? Is there, is there a name for this kind of movement? Is it like something above homeschooling? Yeah, some people will call it um, a homeschool group or some people will call it a micro school. So, so how, how, did, how did you figure out the pricing? Like what, what, what are you going to charge for this? Just experimentation. I have always kind of, accidentally kind of backed into whatever the thing that I was doing. It's like, Oh, this will be fun. And I forget the profit part of it. So yeah. then I have to kind of experiment until I can, um, until I can find that formula. So, so we started with something that it was sort of like, here's the bare minimum to get people to say yes to the idea. But even by the time we were done admitting students for that first year, we had already gone up on the price. And right. then, and then we've just been, we, we want to keep it competitive. Uh, right now our pricing is about half what the area private schools are right um, but we also have a lot of students who come from public school and who never thought they would leave the public school but they're in a situation that um that they're really looking for more of an individualized approach or a, a safer environment so they so we're wanting to keep it in reach of yeah. the those coming from public school when you say safer environment is is it actually is there actually some dangerous schools in 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 um in georgia and atlanta i mean as in like is it is it violence and things like that or what whatever risks there's, there's some violence um there's you know kids getting in fights at the cafeteria these are really large public schools you know the public schools have an incredibly important job yeah. a lot of a lot of kids they get two meals a day and both of those are meals that they get free at their at their sure, local sure. school um, so it, it's an incredibly important role, but the but the schools are not really set up to meet individual emotional needs. That's just not their job. So yeah. so there is definitely you know there are there are fights that will break out because if you bring that many adolescents together, there's going to be some of that. How, um, how big is it? What's like a big school in in, in Atlanta? Like two thousand people or something like that? Um, I w well, it's only three grades, so it'll be like right. K through eight. Um, and yeah. so we'll. They're they're changing it right now. They just built a new school, so it'll be changing. Um, yeah, but yeah. a lot of the schools are eleven hundred, yeah, 1, okay. 1, yeah, yeah. kids. 
Yeah. 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 So, so there's, you know, we see a lot of kids who are anxious, worried about going to school and um, they're very sensitive to what's happening around them. So if somebody else is getting in trouble, they really feel it. So, you know, I want to, I want to be, you know, really respectful of the fact that, that, that I could not do what the public schools are doing. Sure. I could not be an administrator in that context. I, I don't know if I could be a teacher in that context. What they do is really difficult and um, and they're tasked with with a huge challenge and, and they rise to that challenge. Sure. Um, so our what we can offer is very different and very specific. And I'm grateful to have the opportunity to offer that to the people who choose it. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to make sure that I'm not taking away from the public schools or criticizing them because ultimately – uh, they're they're absolutely critical for the functioning of our society sure. as, as we've seen. And and how many students do you have in your school now? Uh, we just have uh, it ranges between like twenty two to twenty seven. We've deliberately okay. kept it small. And what what do they do after they finish your middle school? Do they go to like a public school or private school or? A lot of them do. A lot of them will go uh, back to the local public schools, yeah. um, and they're they're poised for success. I mean. Some of these high schools just have incredible resources, incredible extracurricular activities, yeah. and uh, you know really strong academic programs. And um, a lot of times, as as we know from our own experiences as adolescents, by the time you get to high school, some of the some of the social challenges have kind of shaken out. And people know yeah. who they are. They're able to approach. We, 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 we love to send our rising ninth graders to school with confidence that they that they feel like they can take charge of their own education. They, they know what kind of friends they're looking for. They know what kind of programs they want to get involved in and, and they're yeah. ready. And how do you deal with things like sports, for example, with such a small school? Do you, do you work with external sports teams or do you just not have a sports program at all? We don't have a sports program per se. We are fortunate to be in a city where there's lots of club teams throughout the city. Yeah. A lot of times by middle school, um, kids are already established in their sports. Yeah, and uh, so then they just can continue. Right, but you don't do anything like any groups kind of activities or anything like that. Like, oh, we do, know? we do. It's just not, it's just not formal sports right. team. But the sure, kids sure, will, sure. Um, under normal circumstances, um, you know, the kids will play basketball every day at lunch. We'll we take retreats where we do rock climbing. We go pe- play capture the flag out in the field. We do a lot of recreational activities. We'll do some okay. yoga. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Like, what's next for you? Like, what are you thinking? Obviously, you're running a music school. Are you doing this? Anything else? Any other business projects you've got on? Just just these two things. No, not just these two things, but is that all you do? As I mentioned, just really wanting to um, to become a little more location independent. Um, a couple of years ago, I had the sense that, okay, everything, my entire, li- my entire livelihood is wrapped up with in-person programming in one city working with children. Sure. And uh, I didn't know that COVID was coming, but I definitely felt a little bit of vulnerability there. So yeah. I decided that I was going to start an online school, uh, yeah. which is called the Rulerless School. And uh, so I started that last year, I think it was February of 2019. And uh, so that's working, bringing the, the curriculum we've developed at the Little Middle School to a wider audience. Um, so that's, it's still very small. It's in the beginning stages. I'm not in this situation where I'm like, Hey, everybody, if you don't want to go back to your regular school, we've got this online program. Cause it's, it's very small. It's bespoke, you know, we have room for like three more kids this, this fall. Yeah. Um, but, it, but that's been a lot of fun to, to work on creating those innovations because I had no idea how necessary they would become when we 
had to bring all of our students online uh, this yeah, past yeah, March yeah. due to the coronavirus. Uh, so, um, so that's been a lot of fun to to really work on um, those using tools to to make learning online effective and to help foster a sense of connection and community, even despite yeah. not being able to meet in person. Um, Are you using the same teachers or diff different teachers for the online school? Uh, different teachers, although there's some overlap as the teachers that have been working with for a while are onboarding and training the new ones. So it's really cool. exciting to see the community grow. I'm, I'm uh, fascinated by this. I've looked at doing some things around starting online schools and stuff. And I'd actually, you know, I'd actually, I've done a bit of teaching online. I'd, I'd actually like to do, I was thinking recently, I'd like to do some, cause I, I've done some bit of business teaching and I'd love to do that online, you know, part-time if I could find a school where I could do a few hours a week and not have it being too, too too much but i, I think online schooling is fascinating you know and it's, it's only going to be a huge it's only going to be a huge growth uh sector you know in education coming and going forward it is it is and in a way what i see us doing is as being coaches that a lot of instruction as we know i mean there's you can learn anything you want on youtube or by reading a book imagine that but the the, the having that having somebody to be with you and coach you through the process and help you when you're frustrated and tell you what this is normal and yeah. just keep going um so we we really see that we're partnering with our students to help them walk through the process no matter what yeah. classes they might be taking online that we're adding that human element of really working directly with with students and and coaching them through the challenges and and helping them to to achieve their ambitions. So that's a lot of fun. It's like a little bit of a a coaching relationship as opposed to just sign on to this massive lecture course and just be a face in the crowd. And and how many hours a day uh, are you doing like online teaching for the for the online school rulerless school? It depends. I mean, right now it's summertime, so we we only have a few students who are doing um, summer programs with us. Yeah. As the leader, I mean, I would say, you know, it varies like any entrepreneur. I mean, some days, um, you know, it's like three hours and I'm kind of playing hooky. And then other times I'm all in and it's 10, 12 hour days. So there's there's some seasonality to it. And I really love working with my team and mentoring them. So I really invest heavily in that. Um, we can then turn around and provide that kind of mentorship for our students. Cool. Well, that's a great place to finish. I Really fascinating. I know we had to cut it a bit short. We had a mix up on our times early, but that, that's that's good. We've got the whole story, and it's really interesting. You know, where where can people find you online if they want to get in touch for any reason? Um, thank you. My blog is at wearerulerless.com. So I I write five articles a week every weekday, and so that's um, some context for my educational philosophy and kind of bringing all of my different projects together. I'm also very interested in entrepreneurship and supporting uh, entrepreneurs, especially educational entrepreneurs. Definitely. Well, this is, yeah, that's, that's the podcast. We have a lot of education, educated entrepreneurs listen to this and we're both, I should mention, we're both in the same entrepreneurs group called the Dynamite Circle, which is how I, we got in touch. I saw used some comment you've made about starting a school. So yeah, yeah. fascinating. Great to talk Casey and all the best with everything you do. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dan. It's great to talk to you.